there was no clue to the madness that would cause him to set fires all over California. I just put my head down on my desk and, and cried. Two store employees died in this blaze, along with two-year-old Matthew Troidel and his 50-year-old maternal grandmother. For one thing, I can't stand a dirty cop. Prosecutors claim the former arson investigator got sexual gratification out of setting fire. Who, who really suspects their partner of something like that? My name is Maria Stobbs, and you're listening to Burning Addiction. Last episode, we learned about the dark side of John Orr, my dad's partner in the 80s. We found out what led to his arrest and how he used his fire captain status to trick those around him. He was arrested in 1991, and the next year, a jury in a federal court convicted John of three counts of arson, and he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Believe it or not, I thought that whole trial was about arson, not murder. That's Lori Orr, John's daughter. Six years later, in 1998, John was convicted of four counts of first-degree murder from a hardware store in 1984. This hardware store was called Oli's Home Center. A major fire broke out there, and the store was completely destroyed. The fire killed a woman, her two-year-old grandson, and two employees. John Orr denied setting the fire, but now that he was convicted of murder, he could face the death penalty. When the radio came on and said that he was found guilty of murder, it just blew me away. Like, I just put my head down on my desk and, and cried. Like, I didn't know what else to do. Now it was up to Lori to testify during the sentencing phase. I felt like it was my job to save his life. Like, I had a job and I had to go down there and I had to do a good job at this or my dad was going to die because of me. Three days later, she spoke at the trial. There were a lot of people there, more than I even thought would be there. And so I did spot my dad when I was walking down the center aisle to go up to the podium. I looked at my dad and he looked at me and all he did was stare at me. Like he didn't have a warm look on his face. He didn't say, I love you. He didn't say thank you. He didn't say anything. It was almost like I was a complete stranger. And I seriously did not remember what I said. All I remember is they did put a picture of my son at the time up on the screen and that he was holding a fire truck and that they were talking something about would I continue a relationship with my dad. At the time, thinking he was completely innocent, I said, yes, I will. My son will go to see him. You know, all of those things that they wanted to hear. But this relationship with her dad didn't last much longer. And we'll talk about that later in this episode. Now, Lori learned that the death penalty had to be a unanimous vote. Eight people said yes to the death penalty and four people said no. So he almost got the death penalty, which would have been a whole nother level of upset. Since not everyone voted for the death penalty, John Orr was then sentenced to life plus 20 years in prison without the possibility of parole. I would never, ever let my kids go up there and testify for that. Like, I would not put that on them. He was either facing life in prison or death. To me, as a parent, like the last decision you could ever make as a parent was not to put us through that. And he still chose to be selfish and have us up there doing that. Because what if he would have got the death penalty? I would have been thinking, oh my God, I didn't do enough. It's almost like I killed him. Why, why would you do that to your kids? That was the first indication of me starting to have like 
adverse feelings towards my dad. At that point, did you still think he was innocent? I thought he was innocent for a good 10 years. And part of that reason was because I was sheltered from the evidence. I didn't know. I didn't know what they had against him. He didn't let us go to the trial. There was nothing that I could base it on. And everything I knew about him, he he wouldn't do that. He was a good dad. He was a hero. He helped everybody. I had no reason to doubt what he was telling me. And I believed him wholeheartedly. Some of his letters that he was sending me started to become manipulative. And I was getting older and more mature and realizing the manipulation in the letters. And all of a sudden, I just had this desire to figure out what did they have against him? What are they saying that he actually did? And so I picked up Joseph Wamba's book. It was a federal lockup where I uh, had my conversation with him. I had it set up with the authorities there. That's Joseph Wamba, a master crime writer known for his fictional and non-fictional accounts of police work in the U.S. One of his bestsellers was Fire Lover, which told the story of John Orr. I spoke to him over the phone. John Orr was maybe slightly nervous in the very beginning when he came in, but he settled down. John Orr was uh, probably the best known arson investigator in California. I, you know, getting a chance to, to write a true story about something that's only been done in fiction as I say, where the bad guy turns out to be the cop investigating the case. I mean, that was uh, that was a, the stuff of Hollywood. <laughs> so I was kind of excited to hear his story and see if I could uh, write it faithfully. Wamba spoke to John Orr while he was in a federal penitentiary. He just thought that uh, the prosecution was out to get somebody, and he was the unlucky soul that they seized upon and they were gonna get a conviction at any price, that sort of thing. Wamba never expected John to confess. Instead, he was most surprised by how under control John Orr was. How articulate he was, how calm he was finally. At the, at the very beginning, as I say, slightly nervous as anyone would be, especially someone who's guilty of uh, a series of arsons that have never been matched in our history. So he calmed himself quite quickly, and, and he was impressive. Before John Orr was arrested, he was in the middle of writing his own book called Points of Origin, which was about a character named Aaron Stiles, who was a firefighter turned serial arsonist. John gave a copy of this book to Wamba. Points of Origin, of course, was roughly uh, the story of John Orr. It was a disguised uh, autobiography. John compiled events in Points of Origin that didn't seem so imaginary. The fire John was convicted of setting at Oli's home center was described as Cal's hardware in his book. He wrote about a young boy named Matthew dying in that fire, which also happened in real life. Prosecutors presented the manuscript to the jury, arguing that there were uncanny similarities between Points of Origin and the fires John was charged with setting. But John explained... It was fiction, and when he got arrested, of course, the authorities, according to John, used that to paint a false portrait of how he must have done his crimes the same way that the protagonist in Points of Origin committed his arson. 
I had no idea he had even written a book or had an interest in writing at all. Didn't know any of that. Lori Orr picked up her dad's book, and to her surprise, everything he was describing in there was exactly like I remember it. I remember the house he was describing, the pictures that he was describing on the walls. Everything was exactly like what it was back then. So when I read the first chapter, I had to put it down. John was my dad's partner while John was writing Points of Origin. John told him he had this great idea, and he'd ask my dad, hey, Doug, how does this sound? In one part that he said while writing the book, which I always thought of because I thought it was such a weird, sick thing, he said Aaron was sitting atop a hill watching a grandmother walking hand in hand with a five-year-old grandson into a store that was about to ignite because he put a delayed device in there. It says the grandmother is promising to take the kid to get ice cream when they leave. But Aaron knew they may never leave the store because they may die in the fire. But his reaction is, if that happens, it was meant to be. He had no guilty feelings about it. When he told me that thing about Aaron Stiles in the book, and I don't know if it was actually written in the book because I haven't read it, but that stuck with me. And I thought, well, that's kind of a, a sick thing. But, but in fact, maybe, maybe in an artist's mind, that, that could be. Well, John did end up including this in the book. He wrote in the manuscript that the fictional grandmother was going to take her grandson out for mint chocolate chip ice cream after their trip to the hardware store. And this small detail turned out to be true to what occurred in real life at Oli's hardware store. And the only person who knew this information was the child's grandfather, who was at the store at the time and escaped. Attorneys concluded that Orr must have been near the fire in order to know such specific information. But why did John Orr's fictional character set these fires? He said that Aaron Stiles started fires because he enjoyed watching the people come around to watch all the looky-loos. He loved watching the fire trucks and the police cars arrive. And he said that Aaron gained sexual gratification for that with the idea of, I am the guy who created this. It's because of me that all these people are over here watching this fire and all these people came out. It's because of me. When I read about the sexual feelings that he would get from lighting the fires, I didn't view that as a character in a book like you guys probably do. I just can't. I had to read it like that was my dad talking and that it was him because I knew what I knew. And so it was creepy. It was gross and disgusting, but also shocking because I had never heard that there could be a sexual component in lighting fires. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And thinking of my dad doing that is it just disgusts me. And John even told my dad that, like Aaron Stiles, his fictional character, arsonists can also become sexually aroused by the fires they set. When we went to fire scenes, one of the first things he said is, look around at the lucky news. He says, there's a good chance your arsonist is out there. He said, we take pictures of them, which we did. We were sent and take a video of the entire group of people watching. And he said, look for the people standing in the back. He says, look at their crotch, which was kind of weird. He said, some people get off on this. And he says, it's, it's sexually exciting to them. And 
I think he was describing himself. And after Lori had discovered all of the evidence against her dad. I was convinced at that point that he was guilty. I sent him a letter saying, you know, here's what I'm thinking. You know, I've read everything, looked at everything. In my mind, you're guilty. I need you to explain this to me or convince me that you're innocent. Like, here's your last chance. And he just sent a letter back saying that I would see how innocent he was when he gets out of jail. That was it. Didn't try to save the relationship because I had said, I'm going to cut you off. I'm, I'm done with you. And that was all he said. So I was done with him. This brings us back to author Joseph Wamba, who spoke with John Orr after his conviction. I think he was getting a great deal of satisfaction about sticking his fingers in the eyes of the authorities. That was a way to do it, showing how clever he is. I'm sure he enjoyed it. Well, he obviously enjoyed setting fires. I mean, it was, a, it was an obsessive compulsion. I think he got personal enjoyment out of that. And obsessive compulsion is exactly what some prosecutors argued John was suffering from. They said he had a severe case of OCD and pyromania that compelled him to set fires in order to alleviate anxiety. Fifteen years later, after Lori had stopped speaking with her dad, she broke her silence when her own daughter began to show signs of OCD. They couldn't understand why a five-year-old would already be showing symptoms of that and not have it in their history. I wrote to him and asked him about his mental history. You know, have you ever been diagnosed with anything? Here's what bipolar is. Here's what OCD is. I attached things so that he could read it and see, okay, maybe you haven't been diagnosed, but are any of these things things that you could connect to you or anyone in your family that I don't know? And he said no, that he's never been diagnosed with anything ever and that I could look at his um, psychological evaluations from when he tried to become a police officer and a fireman. But he started to say things like, you're just making this up about your daughter so that I will admit my guilt. So he was continuing to just be mean, really. And I was not lying about my daughter. I, who would do that? So I, I still just didn't talk to him. I don't, I don't respond to his letters at all. And he sends them occasionally, but he's really mean. He's really mean now, you know, bitter. Lori believes setting fires was a form of control for her dad. His need to set fires is something that I cannot wrap my mind around. I, and I'm glad that I can't. <laughs> and, and you probably can't either. It, I don't think any of us can. It's, and it's such an odd crime. And I don't think we know enough about it. But looking back, knowing what I know now, he always wanted a sense of control. Like he was very controlling of his environment, the people around him, manipulating everyone. And he was very good at it. I mean, I didn't see it for, you know, 30 years. So I, he was very good at it. And I think it had something to do with the control and with being able to look good by solving the fires. Like, I think it was just that sense that he needed the recognition from everyone and to know that he outsmarted everyone. I don't think he thought he would ever get caught. To this day, John still maintains his innocence. 
He wrote a letter to my dad from prison. And I still have that letter asking if I'd investigate his case to help prove his innocence. And I declined because I knew he was sick and guilty, especially after seeing the evidence they had against him and thinking back on all our situations. He is where he belongs. He is a danger to society. After John was arrested, the number of brush fires in the nearby foothill areas decreased by more than 90%. He is currently serving the remainder of his life sentence in California State Prison. Some arson investigators and an FBI criminal profiler deemed John Orr to possibly be one of the worst American serial arsonists of the 20th century, setting nearly 2,000 fires in seven years. I grew up hearing about John Orr from my dad, and I wonder, would he have caught John Orr in the act if he would have had a little bit more time in the arson unit? I'm Maria Stobbs, and thank you for listening to the final episode of Burning Addiction.